As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your host, San Francisco 49ers Insider, Matt Mayoko. On this edition of the 49ers Insider Podcast, we catch up with former linebacker Gary Plummer, who spent the final four seasons of his professional football career with the 49ers. Plummer and Ken Norton signed with the 49ers as free agents to solidify the middle of the team's defense in 1994. The 49ers won Super Bowl 29 by a whopping 49-26 over Plummer's old team, the San Diego Chargers. Plummer, a native of Fremont, now lives in San Diego. He's 58 years old, and he'll talk to us about how he has coped with the effects of playing the game of football for so many years. Gary Plummer joins us now on the 49ers Insider Podcast. All right, joining me now on the 49ers Insider Podcast is Gary Plummer, a man who played 15 professional seasons, and I word it like that because his first three years of professional ball in the USFL Gary, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. I actually last night couldn't fall asleep, and uh, they had something on the strike season, and then they brought up uh, of 1987, and then they brought up uh, you know somebody talking about oh they're just a bunch of USFL rejects that are scabs out here, and I just I took offense to that. We we weren't rejects in the USFL. <laughs> How many USFL? USFL players were on that Super Bowl team of the 49ers. At least three. Yeah, at least three. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd have to look at the roster. You, Bart Oates, and then that that quarterback. What was his name again? Yeah, some some guy named Steve. <laughs> but I think off total from uh, from that last season in the USFL, I think there were somewhere around 175 guys that made NFL rosters. And some pretty good players like Jim Kelly, Bobby Bear, Steve Young, Herschel Walker, just to name a few. Yeah, and, and so you played all three seasons of the USFL, correct? Yeah, 1983, 80, 45. And, and that's because I had no choice. It wasn't like I was going to be drafted. You know how they, they, they invite people to the, uh, to the NFL draft um, or whatever the thing is in Indianapolis. I don't even know what it's called anymore. The combine. Um, I didn't get invited to that. So um, it's not like anyone was uh, knocking down my door to come draft me. So were you going to be with the Chargers in uh, that that next season, whether the USFL was still afloat or not? Uh, no, no. I, I actually, after they... After Donald Trump's move to try and sue the NFL, uh, actually it was right before that, they had consolidated a few of the teams. One of them was that the Oakland Invaders got merged into the Tampa Bay Bandits. And uh, so I had gone out there for a mini camp and we thought we were ready to go. And then the lawsuit happened and then they lost the lawsuit. And so we didn't play that uh, that year. So 
I was assuming that I was going to be a Tampa Bay bandit. And then who knew what was going to happen after that. So uh, I sat out over a year of football. So, you know, I finished in the spring of 1985 and didn't play again until the fall of 1986. Let's catch up. What what does a retired football player do with his free time? Well, let's see. What time is it net right now? 11.19? Uh, I just woke up about an hour ago. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, it's great. You know what I love about it is that I literally have no schedule. Um, I, you know, I can do whatever I want, uh, whatever day I want. And uh, I I do end up being my wife's houseboy quite often. Um, She works uh, from home. So, you know, I'm out running errands, uh, going to get lunch. You know, uh, I'm a fetch it guy. So. She asked for it. I go fetch it. And I know that the the backyard of your Scripps Ranch house uh, is kind of your your baby, isn't it? I mean, I understand you're you're very much into landscaping and and um, being being a handyman around the house. Yeah, it uh, it kind of happened. Uh, it kind of became therapeutic um, just with everything with. Junior Seau committing suicide with, you know, a number of other players, uh, you know, committing suicide prior to that. Uh, but it was really Junior Seau uh, that hit me hardest. Uh, you know, at that before that, you know, I was still broadcasting and I was you know, doing a ton of charity events. And, you know, I, I knew that I was having some issues, but like a typical NFL guy, you know, you think you still are invincible. And so you just ignore them. And toughness is one of those most revered of qualities for an NFL player. And so you just don't complain. So the headaches that I was having um, that were extreme and not being able to sleep for basically about 10 to 15 years, you just you just get used to it. But after junior, um, my wife said, you know, dude, you, you gotta, you gotta do something. You gotta, you know, I don't want you to be the next junior sale. And so, uh, so I went and saw a therapist and found that, that there are some things that I could do to, you know, help, uh, correct some of the anxiety that I was having that, uh, I'd never had before in my life. It was terrible. It was, you know, actually started to become debilitating, where, you know, I was doing probably between the broadcasts and charity events, I was probably flying 40 times a year to to events. And, uh, you know, then there's always something local here in San Diego uh, as far as a charity event. And so, you know, that was easily 50, 60 events a year. Um, you know, it, it, it starts to fill up your calendar pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, you, again, you, you just grin and bear it, but I was getting anxiety when I look at my calendar and, and I didn't really know why until I, you know, went to a counselor, um, you know, she suggested that I go see, um, you know, a psych, a forensic psychologist or psychiatrist to get, um, evaluated. This is long before the BAP that they're now doing for the NFL. And I was diagnosed with the early stages of dementia. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because you say that, Matt, and, and you know, to me, it, it wasn't a devastating blow. You know, people in my family, my friends, they were just, they're 
they were devastated and you know feeling sorry for me and and, and truthfully I, I i never batted an eye about it i just thought okay well what do i have to do to fix it um you know it's kind of what my life has been my entire life it's about overcoming adversity and so by going to this this uh, psychologist by getting um suggestions from her uh, you know to start meditating and um my son's girlfriend was a yoga instructor hey i've heard yoga really helps that stuff and so i started taking yoga and then we started remodeling our house and i put in a uh, a steam shower that uh, you use essential oils with because i heard that that helped and uh, you know just reading uh, more books by people like the dalai lama and you know just kind of trying to find that inner peace and then i heard about gardening so long answer to a very short question that you just had uh, i found that gardening was very therapeutic for me <laughs> well one of the reasons that i i love to garden number one is that to be a weatherman here in san diego you have to be able to say sunny and 77 and if you <laughs> do that you're going to be right about 300 days a year so um you know so it was just uh it, it, it was very therapeutic. I had planted because I have four kids and I had planted, you know, 18 fruit trees, you know, 30 years ago when we moved into this house. And so, um, you know, they're full size trees that, that, you know, give a lot of fruit and, you know, they, they take some care. So anyway, um, that and then by doing some of the charity events like Steve Young's Forever Young Foundation events, um, one of them was to open up a music center uh, at Children's Hospital in Utah. He now, I think, has opened four more of them uh, and found out that listening to music can be therapeutical. And uh, so I researched it some more and especially things like classical music. So now I have outdoor speakers and I listen to classical music and I'm probably out there at least six days a week. And it... Uh, it really does music soothe the savage beast. Hmm. And so you were you were diagnosed with early onset dementia. What? How are you doing now? I would say at the time um, it was it was devastating, uh, you know, to everyone else because they realized that having those headaches that I had, honestly, it was almost 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, for somewhere around 12 years and the the insomnia was around 15 years maybe 20 years and um i would say that i'm close to 75 percent better now and it's uh it's something that i wish more players would understand that uh you know early onset dementia you know is something that happens to us from the cte from all the concussions uh, basically what it's doing is aging our brains faster than normal. So all these things that I have been going through uh, were just accelerated by what I came to know after my career uh, in terms of the definition of concussions, that uh, even those grade one concussions, as you know, grade three is getting knocked out. Grade one concussion is seeing stars being slightly disoriented um, or, or slightly nauseous after, you know, contact. And 
I literally laughed when I heard the experts at a seminar I was at talk about that because I said, if you're not getting at least 10 of those a game as a middle linebacker in the NFL, then that means you didn't play that day. And so, you know, if you just do the math, I played 250 games in my career, at least 10 a game. That's 2,500 concussions. So it takes its toll. And, and really all it is is accelerating because, you know, we start losing brain cells and synapses, start misfiring as we age. Those things happen to all of us. Um, it just accelerates the process with the concussions. So finding out that that people that are aging, that are having memory problems, you know, you start doing things like uh, – trying to learn how to play the piano, a musical instrument. Uh, me, I've tried to learn how to play the guitar. I'm not very good, but, you know, just trying to learn helps you. Um, you know, trying to learn a, a foreign language, uh, just all those things, challenging yourself, you know, the yoga, the balance stuff, um, using your left hand or your non-dominant hand. Uh, so there's so many things. And for me, it was just, hey, um, adversity happens in life. And to me, that's how you judge somebody's success, not by how much money they have, but how they handled adversity that came at them. And for me, um, it's it's been great. It's worked. And uh, I think it probably would work for most people uh, unless, you know, you're too far gone already, you know, like a, with full full-blown dementia or something like that. But uh, I encourage all of your listeners to start doing any of those things because what's interesting, uh, I'm going to quote my junior college coach who uh, who I see quite frequently because he's one of the guys from Ohlone Junior College there in the Bay Area um, that uh, wouldn't let me quit when guys told me I wasn't good enough to play in the Pac-10 and uh, so I see him frequently he comes down here to San Diego where I go up there. He lives in Livermore now. And one of the things that he says now, because he was an ornery, ornery guy, wrestling coach, football coach. And, uh, you know, I, I said to him a couple of times, hey, you know, Coach Cowan, you're, you, you've really changed. You're actually a nice guy now. And he looks at me and scowls and says, yeah, you know what? I'm so nice now. I don't even like myself. And... <laughs> <laughs> And so I've, I've borrowed that line from him. And truly, I, I, I've heard from many, many sources, um, man, you've really changed. You're really a nice guy. And I think to myself, man, I must have really been an a-hole before. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, so it, it's, it's been good. Uh, and I, I encourage anyone that knows any professional football player out there to let them know, don't be a victim. Don't allow this stuff uh i mean if if i can have 2500 concussions and and come back from it guys that played the average of three years so they've had you know maybe 150 concussions you can come back from it wow that's that's uh, good stuff and and so i mean you're you're convinced that that the brain can be healed or you can, you can work your brain in different ways and, and overcome some of the stuff that's become, you know, synonymous with, with the game of football. Absolutely. I mean, we, we all know that we've, we've known it forever. You know, you take any class in anatomy or neuroanatomy 
And um, un unfortunately, I had to take a, a, one of those when I was at Cal and a uh, very difficult class. But, you know, I remember uh, them talking about why people that that learn a second language when they're young or learn a musical instrument are then capable of learning many more instruments or many more uh, languages uh, because it, it it maps in your brain the ability to do that. And um, so to go back as an adult and try to learn is extremely difficult. But once you've done it, you, you know, you create new pathways and, you know, it's not that same pathway that's, you know, I'm simplifying it clearly, but it's not from point A to point B like it would have been had you learned, you know, a couple of languages when you were, you know, a, a toddler or a musical instrument when you were a toddler. It now has to go from point A to maybe C, D, and then B. Uh, so that's why it's so difficult. But in doing so, you're creating new connections, new synapses in your brain that um, uh, you can use for other things because that, those areas that were damaged, for me, it just, I don't know where it is. I, I actually used to know the name of it, but um, it's in the very back of my head towards the right hand, uh, right ear. Um, and it's about the size of a softball and I could feel the headache and it would, you know, again, for 15 years felt like somebody was driving a metal stake into my head at times. And then other times it was just this, this constant dull ache that, um, interestingly, um, when, after going through all of these things, uh, and continuing to feel myself getting better, and Matt, it was not overnight by any stretch of the imagination. It was, it was a, lo a long, slow process, but it wasn't a long, slow, arduous process. It wasn't like it was difficult to go to yoga. It wasn't like it was difficult to go out there and listen to classical music while gardening. Um, but I felt myself not only feeling better at the time that I was doing those things, but it then became the cumulative effect of, hey, there have been a few days that I haven't had a headache, um, or there have been a few days that I've been able to sleep uh, through the night. And those were like momentous occasions for me. Um, and, and so it, it's been amazing that uh, I literally feel like a, like a new man. Well, that's great. That is great. One of your colleagues, Dwight Clark, obviously diagnosed with ALS last year. And I know you've had the opportunity to, to spend some time with him. You had lunch with him here fairly recently. What did you take away from that, that time that, that you had with, with Dwight Clark? Uh, it was interesting. It was really interesting. Um, you know, you, it was a combination of, of, heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time uh, because uh, Dwight started off. I actually had uh, just been turned down by the NFL because I'd gone through my BAPS testing. And so I had asked Clark, uh, Dwight, you know, how his issue went. And uh, he said that uh, he had to get, uh, he had to get Eddie DeBartolo involved. He had to get Carmen Policy involved. Uh, Dwight's former um, agent involved. 
and here's a guy that would had been diagnosed with full-blown ALS and he didn't qualify immediately and uh, so it brought up the entire conversation that I had known at that time um, so I, I saw him I think it was during the right before the season started and uh, at that time a thousand players had been tested and eight guys qualified for money from the settlement, the billion dollar settlement. And so um, it, it's, it's not doing what's supposed to do, but it finally has done what it's supposed to do for Dwight. So I was, I was happy to hear that, that at least somebody uh, is getting taken care of because um, I can't imagine having to go through uh, the financial burden on top of, you know, clearly dying, um, you know, it, it so it was it was interesting because Dwight told some amazingly funny stories during uh, <laughs> during the time yes. that we were there. And, you know, just reminiscing about the good old days with the 49ers um, and some of those good old days. Clearly, I wasn't there for, uh, but I was a fan at the time, uh, you know, during his first Super Bowl in, in 81 and 84. Um you know, I was in college in 81 and 84. I was playing in the USFL. So I was a 49er fan growing up. And it was it was it was really cool to hear some of those stories. Uh, who were you involved with with the lunch? Who was there that day? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, of course, uh, Kirk Reynolds uh, setting the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up uh, staying at our former security person in charge of security, Fred Formosa. I stayed at his house the night before. Uh, because I said, dude, I don't get up before 10 a.m., so no, I'm not catching an early flight to fly in. You pick me up and we go to lunch. I'll stay in the night at your house, which was cool, you know, because we um, got to reminisce also. Uh, and then as far as the players, uh, Greg Knapp was there, a former coach uh, with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think there was another player. I'm trying to think who else was there. Keith Yanagi was there, who was a guy that was a videographer for the 49ers for 20 something years along with his brother. Um, and it was, um, it was a lot of fun. We, we had a good time. Do, do you, I mean, how do you view football now? You know, you, you, you had a great career. It gave you a lot of good stuff. It also gave you a lot of pain. And recently, I think even your high school, uh, mission San Jose high in Fremont dropped its football program. Um, I mean, just what, what's your relationship with the game of football? Uh, yeah, I really, I watch some highlights. Uh, I don't watch games anymore. Uh, I might have a game on, but I, I, I can't remember the last time. I think it was the 49ers Super Bowl, uh, the last Super Bowl appearance uh, might have been the last game that I watched. Um, it's, it's difficult, I think, uh, for a bunch of reasons, obviously, uh, knowing that the NFL you know, isn't really taking care of the players. You know, they've attempted to do some things. And, you know, I still applaud Junior Seau for not taking anyone else out when he took his own life. Um, you know, for anyone out there that to be judgmental of somebody like Junior to, to take his own life. Um, I would just s- simply say, I remember uh, how many dark days I had uh, because of not sleeping, because of the uh, the pain um you know we're not just talking matt as you know we're not just talking the the uh, spike being driven into my head every day for 
you know, 14 years. You're also talking, I've had 24 surgeries. Um, and, and so, you know, it just, it, it gets tough sometimes. And I'm not asking anybody for any sympathy whatsoever. I'm saying, I'm asking for understanding for somebody like Junior. And again, I'm just grateful that he didn't take anyone else out with him. So that was one of the first blows. I, you know, clearly to play in the game as long as I did and then to have a career afterwards and broadcasting, I'm grateful. I'm extremely grateful for football. Um, but, you know, it's become political. And I think for me, that was kind of the final straw that uh, it's supposed to be entertainment. Um, it, it's, it's an amazing game. And, it, and I think it builds character. Um, it's fantastic. I coached both of my boys in little league baseball and little league football. And in terms of building character, I I don't see how much character they could have built, uh, you know, by playing baseball, uh, but playing, you know, some obviously teamwork and things of that nature, but, um, playing football really helped build a lot of character in them and in me and and a lot of guys that that I played with and you know the NFL was all about um, I would have never been exposed to charity had it not been for the NFL mm-hmm. I lost a sister to colorectal cancer uh, I think it was my third year um, of professional football and I immediately went into the Chargers PR office and said hey I want to get involved with the American Cancer Society and uh, they afforded me that opportunity, and um, then it just snowballed from there to the point where, you know, I try to do about 50 charity events a year now. And we don't hear about that. We don't hear about the guys. Um, clearly, there's the NFL Man of the Year this year. Um, you know, J.J. Watt, who raised $2 million. You know, that's just – those are the the visible guys. There are dozens and dozens of players on every team that not only do it during their career, but continue to do it um, after their career. Um, And to me, that's what the NFL stood for when we were doing it. And I kind of look at the eighties and nineties when I played as kind of Camelot, you know, Um, it was the, the zenith of professional football. And, you know, I, I don't want to be one of those old guys. Oh, the game's not what it used to be, Matt. Because <laughs> um, trust me, I heard that many times, you know, from older guys, you know, doing charity events here with the San Diego Chargers. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that, you know, it seemed like leadership encouraged us as players to be examples in the community and in a positive way not in a way that's divisive. And so for that reason, I just, uh, you're asking about the relationship. I just haven't um, been that interested. I want to be entertained. I, I, I don't want, you know, I, there's, there's so much going on in the world that it's getting thrown at you from so many different directions with social media. I, I, I don't need it from uh, the direction that I'm looking to be entertained to have social issues brought up. I reached out to you or we talked uh a week or so before the Super Bowl, uh, because the the Hall of Fame selection um, meeting was coming up, and I reached out to a lot of Terrell Owens' former teammates. And your your words that I shared in that room that day 
I think made a made a pretty big impact. You were around him two years as a teammate, and then the rest of his time with the 49ers, you were a broadcaster. Um, what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely share them. Uh, and I'm sure there are going to be <laughs> a bunch of it because he's a divisive guy, uh, a polarizing guy. Uh, I know that, um, you know, I, I'm not throwing him under the bus, but, you know, Steve Mariucci had some huge issues with him. That's no secret. And because I had talked to him after the whole incident in Dallas on the star and, you know, said, look, I, you know, I, let me talk to T.O. Let, you know, and, you know, he was ready to to kick him off the team at that time. He said, you don't understand. You don't know what that guy's like. I'm like, dude, I played with him for two years and, you know, I've interviewed him a couple of times a, a year as a broadcaster and, you know, see him at practice all the time. So I did know who he was and what he really was, was a misunderstood guy that um, because he'd been, in his opinion, wronged by a reporter for sharing something off the record, which became on the record which was that he had a crush on a little girl that lived across the street or down the road from him and didn't find out until a few years later that it was his half-sister. And uh, he was raised by his grandmother, um, and he was never allowed after that, after the grandmother found out that you know he was kind of starting to see this little girl that Terrell didn't know was his half-sister, um, and his grandmother obviously knew it was wrong and, uh, said, no, you can't ever go past the mailbox from now on. I mean, it's pretty devastating, um, news to find out, um, as a kid, I'm sure it shaped a lot of, you know, who he was, or at least gave him a lot of baggage to carry around and then sharing it with a reporter who, you know, clearly it's a great or it's a newsworthy story. But if somebody tells you it's off the record, it's off the record. You and I have talked many times, Matt, um, and said, hey, this is on the record, this is off. And, you know, you've never shared the things that are off the record. And I, and I appreciate that. And you kind of expect that. And so at that point, because T.O. was young and because he was a special teams guy with me, and he wasn't a starter for, you know, the, the first year that we played together. And then, of course, with the injury to Jerry Rice, he did become a starter. Um, but he was still playing on some special teams with me at the time. And I appreciated the heck out of him as a team a teammate because he was a hard worker and he didn't complain. Uh, he was happy to be there. And um, things changed. I remember as a broadcaster, things changed. Um uh, as soon as that story came out, he just instantly had this antagonistic relationship with the media. And uh, he was he was angry. He was extremely angry. And I, I don't blame him. Um, he clearly could have handled it a different way. Um, but once it was kind of it, it just snowballed, you know, once it started downhill, it just became bigger and bigger. Yeah, a uh, a national reporter, I might add, who who came in and did that story, and then I don't know if we ever saw him again. To be honest with you, yeah, exactly. And and so you know, to go back to him, I you know I I felt sorry for him the whole time, and there there were times while I was broadcasting 
that I would, you know, I would pull him aside and I'd talk to him. I, you know, Tio, you got to get over this, you, you know, and, and I couldn't remember who the guy was, if it was a national guy. And I would say, you just have to learn how, who, you know, who to trust. And, and, uh, but you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bad bath water, you know, you, you know, one bad apple doesn't spoil the whole bunch. I'm just going through the whole thing with him. And, uh, you know, and he'd seem like he would get it and he'd be better for a couple of days. And then, bam, all of a sudden it was this, you know, something would happen and he'd get angry again. So um, he was uh, he was a dynamic player. He truly was. Um, and so all that off the field stuff, again, just like I'm I, I'm not giving a free pass to junior sale, I'm saying I'm asking for some understanding. And it, it's the same way with T.O. Uh, until you've walked in those cleats. Um, it's it's a difficult proposition. You know, people ask all the time, you know, what's wrong with these players? And, you know, how could they possibly be going broke? They made millions of dollars. You and I have talked about this before, Matt. You know, the statistic of 82% of all NFL players within three years of retirement are either divorced, have a criminal record, or uh, are bankrupt. And that's a shocking statistic until you think, okay, your listeners right now, I just want you to go back to when you're 23 years old, unless you were a finance major, um, have your degree in finance, um, what would you have done with a million dollars if somebody had given it to you? You know, you want to be generous to your friends. You want to be generous to your family members. And even if you don't want to be generous to your family members, they're asking. They're asking for, hey, my kid needs braces. And, hey, can I get a loan for this? As you know, a loan is never a loan when it comes to family and friends. You're basically giving it to them. And so, um, you know, it's, it, you're young and you, you know, you're not even fully matured yet. You're 23 years old. And then all of a sudden the world is your oyster. And, and, uh, you know, most guys don't handle that well. And, uh, and Tio was just like most guys, he didn't handle it well. And, um, and it only got worse. Yeah, the, you know, the 49ers have another dynamic player right now who has a different set of off-field issues and I, I'm not gonna ask you to you know litigate what's going on with Reuben Foster you don't know Reuben Foster but the Fort Niners were going to bring in Ken Norton to kind of hopefully be a support system for him um, in your experiences um, how important is it when there's a young guy who you know is trying to find his way and and the team does not consider him a bad person at all but um, a guy who's clearly made some some missteps and is either put himself or found himself or however we want to say it put himself in bad situations what can be done is it is it up to veterans is it up to the team you know they want to support him they don't want to throw him out to the curb because you know there's a fear of what also you know he's a great player a but also you know what would he do um how would he be able to uh, get by without that support system that is built into an NFL team. So, I mean, do you have any just kind of on the outside looking in views on Reuben Foster and how the 49ers should handle this? A great solution would have been Ken Norton. And, and uh, you know, it's absolutely a gain for Seattle and a loss for the 49ers that uh, Kenny decided to to go up north. 
because I went to his 50th birthday party last year and the guys that got up and spoke, there were, I think, seven of them. Uh, a few of them were from USC where he had coached and the other guys were um, from Seattle and from the Raiders. And half the guys cried when they got up. And, you know, this was supposed to be, um, you know, just a, a 50th birthday celebration. And Kenny's wife, Angela, asked if um, if a few guys could get up and say a few words about Kenny. And they talked about how he developed character, not just football skills. And so that's a unique human being. And every team should have one. And if if they don't, they need to find one. And um, so, yes, there there is an investment in a Reuben Foster. And yes, if you're going to kick him to the curb, then he's going to have, you, you know, some people say, well, then he has no support system. Well, the support system is going to come, oh, you know, if he's a good enough player that somebody's going to sign him and hopefully you'll get the support system there. Um, and we've seen that happen, you know. Raiders used to do it and uh, New England still does it. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that you, you, uh, again, you have this, unfortunately, what happens to personalities or character uh, for young football players is what I was alluding to before. You have been coddled most of your life. You've been an elite athlete uh, that has been given free passes most of your life, uh, whether it's in high school or college or even in the pros. It, what's what happens is you feel like you're above the law or you're invincible. All right. Well, Gary, I'm, I'm very happy you're doing so well and, and feeling so much better. I'm happy for you and Corey, because I know uh, I'm sure that your struggles were taking a toll on her as well. Um, I'm not sure when succulent season is. <laughs> it's year-round here in San Diego, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, good luck with everything going on in your backyard and your entire life. And thanks so much for joining me on the 49ers Insider Podcast. Uh, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the 49ers Insider Podcast. If you haven't already, please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe. And if you like our podcast, and heck, even if you don't, give us a review and a rating. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with another great episode of the 49ers Insider Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.